Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 22 with our guest, Rachel Carew. Let's hit it. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, welcome into the studio. You're tuned directly into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. This episode is is so wonderfully perfect for me because I can relate to it on so many levels. Specifically, you're going to hear there's an entire performing background that, you know, I spent 15 years in New York as an actor filmmaker. So I am just ready to sink my teeth into this discussion and listen up all you perfectionists out there. Now, personally, I never really considered myself a perfectionist but I know many who are, and you guys are all, whatever, wherever you fall in this regard, you are in for a real good time. My guest today is Rachel Carew, and her personal journey, as she calls it, is as a recovering perfectionist. I love that term, which inspired her to create Stepping Into More, which is a professional and personal development company dedicated to supporting clients with their quest to unleash their purpose and passion in order to lead a fulfilling and empowered life. Who wouldn't want that? Rachel's perfectionism paralyzed her from pursuing her passion for singing. She's a singer. And let me tell you, I heard her singing. We'll get right into that too. She's been singing for over 20 years until a car accident changed everything. And as a result... She started performing, publishing her autobiographical self-help book, Stepping Into More, Lessons from a Recovering Perfectionist, which is available on Amazon, and also, for the record, has an almost near-perfect review status, so go check that out. And she also has a, uh, her own produced CD of songs, Stepping Into More, which is available on CD Baby. Again, that's where I heard a bunch of preview clips that I was in bed one evening looking at that and I was just drifting off in in awe. It's really beautiful. We'll link to all that. Without further ado, help me welcome my guest today. It is Rachel Carew. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. 
absolute pleasure. So we're going we're gonna to unravel everything I spoke about. And I love learning about your performing background because like I said, personally, I've been there. I get it. I love it. I respect it. But I want to start with one of the things you do today in your personal development um, business is you help clients discover how to unearth our purpose. Now, we hear that word a lot. You know, people talk about finding your purpose. So I want to get your specific take on this. When we talk about purpose in that regard, what does that really mean? And more specifically, can you give us an example of someone's purpose you may have helped find so we can understand all that for ourselves? Sure. Great question. I know the whole concept of purpose can seem kind of daunting and, you know, like woo woo. <laughs> when I think about purpose, I, I think about really who we are at our core, sort of our central compass, if you would. And the way that I support clients in and unearthing their purpose is really by helping them reconnect to their values as well as to define their strengths. And what I mean by a strength is not necessarily something that you're good at, but something that really energizes you, that you love doing, because we're good at a lot of things, but we might hate doing them. And to answer your question about a specific story, uh, the first one that comes to mind is I was coaching a manager at Facebook and the purpose of our coaching was really to help her be a better internal coach for her direct reports. And as I was getting to know her, she sort of shared, by the way, oh, I really have this love of cooking. And I've always wanted to do something as a chef. And so I couldn't let that go. And by the end of our coaching together, she had arranged with Facebook to leave for a period of time, she got into the San Francisco Culinary Arts School uh, as a pastry chef, and, and she went to the school, she uh, worked in a, a, a top restaurant for a while, uh, and Facebook guaranteed her job back. And sure enough, after doing that for a while, she decided, you know what, I love doing this, I don't need to do it full time though. So she went back to Facebook and now she's selling as a pastry chef. Uh, she has a side business. So I, it was just a wonderful story. That's amazing. So finding one's purpose uh, can help reignite all of these emotions and feelings to help you feel more fulfilled, including finding a side or front business. That's amazing. Yeah, so I think it really helps when we define that compass for ourselves and our purpose and our passion. It helps us be more integrated as a human being so that we're not so compartmentalized and we can actually start bringing more of who we are into all aspects of our life. Some months ago, one of the books that came to mind as you were talking that, that really talks about it um, in a in a very similar way, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. 
and he talks about what he calls a um, our upper limit of good feelings. And uh, typically, when we're moving along life and we hit a certain level of success, our internal thermostat, as he calls it, will 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 reach that upper limit, and we will do everything we can to remain below that. But the point I want to connect was how you were talking about finding our purpose. He calls it your zone of genius, and that's when you can really figure out what, as you said, what just lights you up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's much happier and fulfilling place to be when, when we're living from that place for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned the word passion, um, in a similar question, like purpose, I want to get your take on the word passion. Is that something we can at will learn to turn on and off? Or is it something that either is or isn't dependent on the surrounding circumstances of our life? Awesome question. I, I think that passion is something innate within us. Not to say that the form or the flavor of the passion can't change or evolve over time. Um, I do think it's directly linked to our purpose. So when we have, for example, one of my values is around creative self-expression. And then my passion are different avenues to honor that value. So whether that be through singing, through uh, coaching, through being a speaker, uh, through uh, being president of the International Coach Federation of Los Angeles, where I have a platform to express, all of these things are different avenues for me to really honor that value and connect to my passion. You probably mentioned it, or I should say explained it right there, but you said creative self-expression. What is that? For me personally, uh, it's honoring um, my ability to express in an authentic manner who I am and, and what's present for me. Uh, so that may take the form of singing. And the reason I love to sing is because I, when I'm in the zone, it doesn't always happen, but when I'm in the zone, I am authentically expressing myself. And it's a venue where I can express all kinds of emotion that I might not be feel as comfortable in a day to day. So I might be angry, I might be really sad. And I enjoy not only for myself having that freedom to creatively self express, but also giving permission to the audience for them to have their own authentic emotional reaction and experience too. What do you say to somebody who says, well, yeah, sure, I'd love to creatively express myself, but guess what? My life sucks. I'm busy beyond belief. I'm overwhelmed. I have four kids nagging at me. I barely have money to make ends meet. I have no time to even give that thought. Where do we begin? Yeah, so really, I'm a big believer in baby steps, and I much rather people take on something small and impactful than try to take on too much and either not do it or not do it well, beat themselves up and forget about the whole thing. So if somebody were really in that kind of a dire situation, of course, we need to start, if you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we would start with more of the security, helping them get more financially solid career on track. And that's obviously crucial. Once they feel that they're a little bit more stable, then we'd start to look for, okay, perhaps we want to embark in what I call weekly planning. And as part of that weekly planning, 
where might be there some room for fun and what I like to call recreation. And that recreation is really how can you be honoring those values? So if you have a value around creative self-expression, who knows, maybe it's just even like finding some, if you're a singer like me, maybe it's um, putting on YouTube some karaoke tunes and, and just singing for yourself. If you're a writer, maybe it's taking um, 10 minutes uh, in a morning and journaling whatever your heart desires. So these things don't have to take an enormous amount of time. I think that people though, feel they put this extra pressure on themselves and, and they put unrealistic expectations on themselves and they connect the idea of success as meaning it has to be something that either is making money or that, you know, is a public forum. And I think part of that journey for all of us is learning when you identify your purpose and passion, how do you really want to honor it and perhaps redefine what success means for you? So, so true. And I, I, I think so many people, and I was certainly in this category for all too long. When you hear about success, like you said, we all have to redefine what that means and what it looks like for us personally. Because I think the trap is to think success is for everybody else around me and some, some grand place that I, I could never reach. And right there, you're already screwed, right? Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, and a big part of the journey, I think, is learning to validate ourselves internally versus continually seeking that external validation. And that is a lifelong journey. <laughs> I've been there for decades. That was my number one of dozens of uh, things that were holding me back, always looking for the the perfect person to validate me or the perfect thing or sale or scenario or or pat on the back and eh, first of all you're never going to get those because you're not able to to see it to to bring yourself to those moments anyway so there's a whole irony wrapped up in that with a great big bow for sure it's been said that you, and, and I know we spoke about this, you're talking about it, you're a singer, and again, uh, I'm going to link to uh, the CD Baby because people can hear all those preview clips, which are, they're really gorgeous. They're, I, I love all those. A lot of show tunes, a lot of some standards, really some, some awesome stuff. Um, so apparently, uh, you, you wanted to be a performer for as long as you can remember. You could sing before you could speak. But then also you say you were born with gremlins, those inner voices that hate change and demand the status quo. What are gremlins? Yeah, so gremlins are those little voices inside of our head that are holding us back in some way or sabotaging us in some way. And, and actually there's research out there that says we have 60,000 thoughts a day and the majority of those thoughts are negative and subconscious. So those gremlins are these tapes playing in our head that we might not even be aware of consciously. And of course, the feelings that we have then tie into the thoughts, which then tie into our actions. 
So really a lot of my work that I love as a coach is, is sort of like going to the gym. On the one hand, we want to give voice to those gremlins. We don't want to push them away. We want to understand them. Perhaps in the past they served us in some way, but they're not serving us now. And then on the other hand, we want to build the muscle of really getting clear on our purpose and passion so that when the gremlins come up, now we're at more of a conscious choice point and we can acknowledge the gremlin without getting sucked into it and say, thank you very much. Can you please go to the back seat and let me ask myself what's going to best serve me right now? Yeah. And I love how you put it like going to the gym because today that's exactly how I approach every aspect of my personal development journey. I say that it's, I, I, I have to treat every moment of every day like I'm in recovery and in most, by most definition, I am. And trying to remain out of those non-serving destructive habits today, I have to treat it like I'm, I'm deliberate and conscious, like you're going to the gym or you're in recovery, however you want to identify it for yourself. And that helps me live a peaceful, calm life where once I was the, the look of angst. I mean, I think I made Woody Allen look calm. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so you, I, um, I keep saying I so much admire and appreciate your story. Let's get in to the Rachel Carew journey starting from the beginning. Take us back to your childhood. What was life like growing up as a young child? Yeah, life was challenging. I, I moved a lot as a child. Uh, my dad was an executive and pretty much any time he had a business opportunity, we would move. Uh, and, and you had mentioned that I could sing before I could speak. Actually, my late great Aunt Rose had shared with me that before I could speak, I, I was singing. So this was just a natural part of who I was. I, and, and actually for me, it was a beautiful outlet because in addition to all the moves, I also, my parents had very high expectations. Uh, they have their own form of perfectionism, each of them in a different way. And because I was in that quest to get that external validation initially from them and later from others, I very much was in that place of, oh, how could I please them? And and what I learned through singing was that was one of the few areas of my life where they were okay with me expressing myself in a not so perfect manner. I, and, and so that gave me a chance and permission to be able to really allow myself to connect to whatever emotions I was having and to be able to share that with, with others. You said that you moved a lot as a child and you said that your, whenever your father found a different business opportunity, you were moving. Was he successful? Yes, he was very successful. And I guess that was part of what his desire for your perfection stemmed from. How early of an age do you re really remember singing confidently? My first talent show... Uh, I was eight or nine. I was living in Oklahoma and I had learned about this opportunity. I, and I just decided, okay, I, I'm going to do this. And actually, I don't know if you remember the Leo Sayers song, When I Need You. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I worked on it by myself in the living room, just listening to it over and over again. Uh, and then I have a total recall of that performance and getting up there and, and really singing with all my heart. And how did it go? It was, it, it was, it gave you all the confidence you, you hoped? I don't know if it gave me all the confidence, but I, I felt really, I, I felt authentic and, and it, it felt really great. So that's, that's wonderful. So you went to that talent show, you're eight or nine, you're singing, you're moving about the country. Now, how has, how has moving about the country, looking back or even what you took in the moment, did you, was that just misery as a child? Did you find the good? Was it one and the other back and forth? How do you look at that? Yeah, so as a child, it was not such a great thing for me. I, I just felt like I had to keep trying to fit in. Um, I didn't retain friendships um, from my foundational years because I kept moving. Uh, of course, looking back now as an adult, uh, I can see the positives that I very quickly learned how to acclimate and to make friends uh, and to be able to build community uh, for myself uh, in whatever situation I, I am in. And, and part of that is due to having to move so much as a kid. Hmm. Are you an only child or were there siblings? I have a younger brother. Okay. So now, um, as a young teen, um, what's going on? Are you still singing and seeing a future on the stage for yourself? What did you want to do? What were your parents looking to have you do too? Well, it was an interesting time for me. I was definitely uh, a rebel as a teenager, and I was very much involved with play production um, and so I, I, I was kind of unique. I was with the play production group. I was wearing the polo shirts and Levi's and topsiders, and I shaved, I shaved stripes in the side of my head. So I kind of didn't quite fit in any place. Um, and I thought that I wanted to pursue a career as an, an, as an actor. And actually my parents had decided to move again in my senior year uh, and I was done moving. So I graduated high school a semester early and that's when I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and was accepted at the time as their youngest student. I was 17 years old. Uh, so I thought that's what I wanted. Truthfully, though, I didn't really have a clear vision. I, I wasn't really solid on exactly what I wanted to do or what it was going to look like. It was just sort of the path I had been following, and, and so I continued with that path. Were your, were your parents supportive of their daughter going into uh, an artistic career? Um, I think they really surprised me by allowing me, A, to be emancipated. That's what we needed to do to legally emancipate me at 17 years old. Uh, so I was very surprised that they allowed me to do that. I was completely surprised that I made the case to go to this acting school and that they allowed for it. Um, were they thrilled? Did they want me to be a, an actor or a singer? Probably not. Um, they're very practical. My mom used to talk to me about, hey, don't you want to be a lawyer? Uh, you know, and, and 
yeah, so they, they were not, uh, you know, delighted that I was going to, to pursue that path. And to their credit, though, they, they did create space for me and they helped fund me uh, to be able to go to that, the academy and to pursue that. Were you a, were you law, law material? Were you a straight A student? I was a, a, a very good student, uh, except for math. Math has always been my downfall, and there was actually backstory there. My grandfather was a mathematician who was not the nicest of people and instilled so much fear for me around math that I feel like I have post-traumatic stress disorder around it. Uh, How so? It, uh, what, what did he yeah. like uh, ask you to round pi to the uh, 20th decibel? Like, how was he aggressive uh, about, about math? Well, I just have a memory of probably being around five or six years old, and he was quizzing me, like, what's five plus five? It's ten. Got and, it. And he was a big man, and he, he was not a nice character. Uh, and he didn't even live near me, and I blanked out four years of math. So you can only imagine what the experience was for my mother growing up with him. Mm. Um, but other than math, I, I, was, I was a decent student, and it really took I, – I worked very hard – uh, to, to get good grades. Um, yeah. What is, let's, let's talk about your mom for a minute. Cause I'd love to connect those dots now knowing a little insight into your grandfather, her father. What, what, what is, or was your mom's career? Uh, originally she wanted to be a doctor and her parents said, no, women are not doctors. So they told her that she needed to be a teacher and she got her master's in library science. But as soon as I was born, pretty quickly, she became a, a full-time mom. Uh, here and there, she did some uh, bookkeeping and worked in doctor's offices. But primarily, she, she was a stay-at-home mom, uh, which was necessary because my dad traveled quite a bit. Uh, and, and so it was, it was good that she was at home. Wow. So, so you went and got accepted as the, the youngest student accepted into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, the California campus. I know that there's one in New York because my performing journeys took me uh, across town from their campus to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Uh, but we, we knew of all of you and you knew of all of us. So, um, so you go there uh, and, and how's that experience? It was really challenging for me. I, um, as I mentioned, the reason I love to perform is that I, it's connecting to my value of creative self-expression. And some of the classes allowed for that, but as soon as I remember I had a teacher that taught us the, the method acting using Uta Hagen, and as soon as we got into that, that really got me into my head and, you know, like every moment has to have a beat with the backstory. And, and I lost connection with my feelings. And it really was challenging for me because my perfectionist, I didn't even know I was a perfectionist at the time, but that's what was happening for me was I, I started to get very critical and I can't get this and this is so hard. Uh, even my musical uh, theater class where I was singing, which was always my passion, the instructor was so critical and so nitpicky mm. that it just took me out of the joy of, of performing. Mm. And then um, how many years of a program is this? 
Well, it can be up to a three-year program. And what happened to me at the end of my first year is I wasn't accepted back into the second year. And which I later learned there was a lot of internal bureaucracy and, and uh, some things going on there. At the time, though, I was devastated. I, I thought, wow, I must really suck at this. And I took the road more frequently, traveled, and very quickly applied to college and got my degree in business with an emphasis in human resources management and literally stopped performing for over 20 years. Wow. Did they, at least on paper, why, why weren't you asked back? It, it was a, I don't remember the details. All I remember was like, basically the message was we, we, uh, you know, believe you should pursue other career options. And yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, um, again, a very similar story, almost the opposite in stories. I right out of high school went, you know, terrible student C's and D's on a good day and always wanted to perform and did community theater. So I, I ran to the chance to um, uh, audition for the BFA acting program at Montclair State University in my home state, the great garden state of New Jersey, and I got accepted as a freshman. But I was young. I was so naive. I had no idea about anything, and, but I got accepted, so I was thrilled, and I saw a grand future for myself, gave it my all in that acting program, and like you, it's a uh, every year audition, and lo and behold... After freshman year, we audition for the dean, and then I meet with her, and she says, we are not going to ask you back. Here's a box of tissues. And it was just, I was like, yeah, I was devastated. I was like, what? But then looking back, it's like, well, of course, I had no, I, 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 what was I offering there? Uh, and then, you know, and then you try to make sense of it all in your bedroom that you grew up in that summer and uh, and that's when I went to New York at uh, at the musical theater conservatory um, so so there you go so now you are back you're now in in college yeah so um, I, I graduated college and um, then went to um, I lived in San Diego for a little while. I, I attempted actually to take a, a couple of acting and singing classes while I was there. And as I mentioned, I, I just have this memory. I, I literally in the singing class had to like train myself at this moment, you will move this arm uh, because I was like glue. I just couldn't move. I was so fearful. It, it was really really challenging for me to, to put myself out there in that way. Were you fearful because the, the sting of the Dramatic Academy asking you to leave? Was that the whole thing? Yeah, it just really killed my confidence. And I had those gremlins going on telling me, well, you, you suck. Like, why are you doing this? You know, you're not, you're not good at it. Um, so why don't you let it go? And, and do something more practical. Uh, and, and that's really what prompted me into my career in human resources and training and development and now as a coach. Let's talk about the irony in that human resources era. Tell us about that. Yeah, so one of my first big jobs, I was the human resources manager at EMI Music Distribution, which at the time represented 10 record labels. 
uh, including Capital Virgin. And I ha had an amazing office with CDs everywhere and plaques. And it, you know, it, it, it seemed great. And I went to a lot of shows and all that was wonderful. And while that was happening, I was really conflicted and torn inside for a couple reasons. One is being in human resources. That's a whole other story. And the second is because here I am in this creative environment and I'm dying to sing. <laughs> and I would not even tell anybody that I, I sang or that I performed. Nobody knew any of that. So it was like really sort of like hiding and, and nobody knew this other identity I had. And at that time I was still in my perfectionism mode. And what perfectionism is, is putting on a mask. And that mask is, hey, if I can act and look, quote unquote, perfect, then I can hide whatever insecurities, judgment, shame I might be experiencing internally. And to the world, I'm putting on this facade and this mask of perfection. I'm so glad you said that because the whole, the whole foundation of this brand that we're here, the hidden entrepreneur, is exactly that. I, I use that same lingo, the, the mask and the hiding and the guilt and the shame. For me, though, there was absolutely, the only thing missing from that was perfectionism. No, that, no, nobody would even claim that that remotely defined me. I never identified with that. I was just, I was just hiding. I didn't, I didn't want to be seen. I couldn't, my, my show up skill was that of the court jester, the clown, right? I would make a joke and just, hey, look at me, to deflect. And I guess that's why I, I entered the theater and, you know, went that, that route to just, you know, be, be someone else and sort of push aside everything that you really do identify with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful story. And how awesome that you're doing this now. Very cool. Yeah, that's the goal for all of us, right? To at any point in your life, sooner, later, what have you, never too late to what? Uh, so that's what, that's what you do for your clients in essence. You help them determine where and how they want to go. Yeah, and even in a business capacity, like I, do, I mentioned Facebook, for example, I do quite a bit of work with their managers. Um, there's always an element of looking within. And what I'm really passionate about, one of my passions is inspiring reflection and results. Because I think so much of our day-to-day, -day, we're so caught up with the crisis of the day and trying to be in service to others that we disconnect from our values, from our strengths, from the work-life balance. So even when I'm working on business goals with leaders, I'm always looking at not just at what we're doing, but who are we being in that process? And are we being intentional and really honoring who we are and, and our values and our strengths? You talk about values. That's another word that, if I allow it, just becomes a word. What, how, do we, how do we identify our values? What is a value? You know. Great question. So most people, when they hear the word value, automatically go to morals. And morals are imposed from the outside and tell us how we should act. Values, on the other hand, are intrinsic to who we are. They're core pieces of who we are. And we want to honor those values. Sometimes there's overlap with morals, 
Usually though, like creative self-expression I shared with you is one of my values. It's not going to be a cookie cutter, like responsibility, honesty. Um, and, and once we have a sense of what those values are, now we can take a look at prioritizing them and also identify how we're honoring those values. And if we're not honoring those values, it's almost like a piece of us dies because it is so core to who we are that we need to find a way to integrate it into our lives. I know the word values really is, is correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's literally the same as what do I value, right? Is that a, is that a good initial way to, for, for me, to enter that conversation to determine because I know you, you you sort of said responsibility and integrity and, and honesty I mean are those are those not values or are those just like a cookie cutter checklist that people feel like they should and not really getting to the heart of things so the word should is a key word if, if you're looking at any of these labels and it feels like you should be that should be a value chances are it's not a value. <laughs> chances are it's more of a moral. Not to say that it's wrong or bad, it's just something that you've been conditioned to believe is a way that you should or, or you're supposed to be versus a value where it's just, that's just how you are. Um, and again, there can be flow and overlap between the two. So just to give you an example, some people will say they have a value around security. If I start to delve deeper and I, and I ask them, what's the energy with security? How do you feel when you're thinking about security? What does security really mean to you? If they come from a place of like, wow, this I love when I have this sense of security and I, and I like to set up my financial situation and feel solid and it's a positive, it might be a value. If, on the other hand, it's coming from a fear-based place and they're petrified of not being stable, then most likely it is not a value uh, and it may be a gremlin. Uh, it could be immoral. Uh, so, you know, that's, and I love that work, really getting in the weeds with people around this. And to your point, I do not use an exercise when defining values where I present a list. Because most people, their initial thing will be to think of morals and they'll just check these things off the list. So actually my, my favorite, one of my favorite exercises is saying if you were to win the lottery today and money was no longer an issue in your life, what would your life look like? And as they're sharing, I'm looking for potential values. And then I'll ask them, what's the importance in each of these choices? And then from there, we'll start to mine for values. There's another exercise that just came to mind that uh, I've come across through my my journaling aspect, which is really a relatively new habit of mine that I'd like to do more and more. I know how powerful it is and can be, uh, but it's all about your ideal day. And it's just without any apology, any limitation, just take an hour, take two hours, however long, and just create with no limitation your ideal day day go as far as you can and i'm sure as you're saying that i haven't done that yet i really need to 
but but I and and I'm I, I've I've resist I've resisted it because I know that there's so much effort quote unquote and 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 mind work around now meanwhile believe me it's going to be extraordinary and i have i have grand visions let's be real so it's going to be magnificent but and and that's really the point but i'm guessing through that is when i slash you would be able to read that and say i i i get you now i see a lot of your values in just that yeah, absolutely. And and as a coach, I'm always paying attention to the nonverbals. I'm paying attention to people's energy shifts. So again, I'm really looking to decipher between what they think they should be honoring or valuing and, and who they really are and what, as you mentioned, lights them up, what gets them excited. Um, so that's one of the real uh, values, if you would, of working with a coach is having that third party really witness you and to keep holding up a mirror to really check out, is, is this really what you're talking about or is there something else going on there behind the scenes? When you're working with, let's say, the Facebook management team or any other executive or employee or business owner, do you find that the broad category of of issue is some set of fear? Uh, Oftentimes, yes. I mean, all of us, we always have a moment to moment we're choosing fear versus love. And and that stems in the amygdala, uh, which is the fight, flight, or freeze part of our brain, the most primitive part of our brain. And that's what kicks in quicker for us than the neocortex, the thinking part of our brain. And of course, for survival reasons, that's really necessary. You know, the caveman looking at the the dinosaurs or whatever. Um, So we're hardwired to go to constantly um, thousands of times a day, you know, fear or love, fear or love. And, and so the more aware we are of that, then we can, again, come to that more conscious choice point about how we want to be in the moment and not necessarily listen to the gremlin or that fear-based place uh, because our brain lies all the time. We just don't realize it's lying because it's so friggin' loud. We just take it as gospel. Oftentimes, though, it is not our, who we are truly, our, our higher self. I'm very intrigued that you, the two sides of the coin you presented were fear and love, not something like fear and courage. Um, fear and love, how, how is one the opposite of the other? What do you mean by love? Well, again, it, it's, it's really about what we're going to move towards versus what we want to run away from. So that's just the label I'm giving love in this case. It's more what's attracting us versus what we want to back away from. Mm, I love that. I really love that. What, what mantra do you live by today? Mm. Well, one of my favorite affirmations is I am a freedom flyer surrendering to the flow of now, loving, trusting, and accepting myself and you. I get it. I feel it. I like it. Um, I, I could embrace all of that. And I, I know how it's tough to, to really get there. 
And I guess like you said earlier, it's, it's baby steps, but boy, is it possible. I'm, I'm living proof. I spent decades cowering in a corner, um, sometimes not just metaphorically. And um, I now at a point where slowly but surely, you know, day by day, moment, time to, moment by moment, living in the present, living in the now, staying as conscious and healthy in whatever regard, that's all possible. I love it. Yeah, and we were talking before about defining success for ourselves. So for myself personally, now as it pertains to my creativity, I, I'm really redefining what I want out of that. When I first started performing again, I was producing cabaret shows and uh, those were going very well. I was selling out. I was bringing in other performers. But then after a while, I felt like it was work and my work mentality was coming into it. So now I'm at a place of what brings me joy and what do I want to be doing as it pertains to my creativity versus what I think I should be doing. And so it's a lifelong journey, you know, the, and I just love the idea of constantly getting to reflect and recreate ourselves and redefine what it is that we really want. Looking back on your life, what advice would you give your younger self? to trust what I call my gentle strength. And my gentle strength is all about honoring my, my values, my strengths, my intuition, and, and just to trust that and to love myself for who I am versus what I'm doing and what I'm achieving. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I mean, all this journey, uh, you know, for many years I lived in regret and, and now I really don't have regret at all about it. And I see the way it's all unfolded, the way it's meant to be and in its own time. Uh, you know, we all have this illusion of control and, and we, the only thing we can really control is ourselves and how we hold things. Um, so this, this all happened the way it was meant to unfold. Please give us a little insight. What do you mean by illusion of control? Well, if you think about it, um, most of us have this illusion uh, that we can control quite a few things. Uh, just to give you an example, in the, in the corporate world, um, if there, there's obviously many changes that occur on a regular basis. So when people are in the midst of change, uh, the reason most people have strong emotional reaction to change is because they feel like they've lost control. And they often feel now they're a victim uh, of, of this change and they have no control in what is going to happen to them. So one of the things I encourage leaders to do and what I like to do when I'm in change or working with clients in change is to take a piece of paper, write three columns, what's within your control, what can you influence and what is out of your control and those things that are out of your control as best as you can let them go it's just a waste of time and energy the things that you can influence are often other people in change situations oftentimes the end result has been identified but how we're going to get there has not been identified so that is an opportunity for an employee or for a manager to be 
asking employees for their input, for their involvement to help define that. They can influence that. And then in terms of control, when you think about it, it really just comes down to ourselves. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor, and he was a psychiatrist, and he spoke about the challenges um, of being in the concentration camp, and one of the things that he spoke about uh, was that he re remembered seeing people give away their last crust of bread in the huts. And he said that they may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. As powerful as that is, you have that memorized? Uh, partially, and then I, I, I have the quote here, so I was able to, to look at it. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm not that good. <laughs> well, but I know you're a performer, so it wouldn't be out of the realm of anything. Um, that's magnificent. Are you, how, how are you spiritual or religious in any ways today? Yeah, so from a religious perspective, I am Jewish. Uh, and actually, that's one of the things I'm exploring a lot lately. I joined a new synagogue earlier this year, and, and I've started singing. I'm a leading part of service of the service. Um, and so that's something that is one of those things. Do I want to do this? Do I feel I should do this? So I've, it's been a, a great learning and lesson for me around setting boundaries and, and reconnecting to the intention I want with my singing. Um, and then spiritually, I, I believe we're all spiritual beings. Uh, we are human beings, um, not human doings. Um, so I'm constantly on a quest spiritually to really reconnect to my higher self. And, and that higher self is definitely, again, connected to values and strengths and all of that good stuff um, so that I, I feel more integrated as a human being and, and more aligned as a person. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on Earth comes to an end? I'm still contemplating that. I, I very much would love to believe there is a, an afterlife uh, I've had experiences of friends who've lost um, parents and who have who feel that they have a connection that they're actually being visited by their their parents that passed away. So that gives me hope. Um, I've had some really interesting experiences. Um, even when my grandma passed away, literally the minute she passed away, I jumped up in my bed and and later found out that that was the moment she had passed. Um, so I very much want to believe that there is an afterlife, um, but of course, as humans, we'll, we'll never know. And, you know, that's part of the great mystery. We, we will never know. And it is so comforting um, for those people that really do believe that. I kind of envy them in that way um, because it's, it's really comforting and gives us a sense of being more grounded when we have that belief and faith that there is something after this life. Absolutely beautiful. How is singing or performing in general a part of your life today? How have you gotten back into it? What are you doing? 
Yeah, so as I mentioned initially, I had the cabaret shows. Uh, I did audition a little bit for community theater, but I realized quickly that I couldn't balance all of that with my busy work schedule. I'm also a mom and a wife, uh, so I have a quite a full, full life. Um, and, and so as I was mentioning right now, um, synagogue is one avenue for that. Uh, and I've also been taking musical improv classes. Uh, so for those folks that aren't familiar with that, it, it's like a regular improv uh, where you might be given a situation or a relationship and then there's a piano player who just starts playing and not only are you improving the scene, you're creating through song the entire scene, uh, which is uh, exciting and terrifying all at the same time. <laughs> so is that is that like one of the segments on whose line is it anyway? I think they used to do something like that. Absolutely. It's just like that. And really, I mean, you have the skill and the talent, but I've heard that anybody could benefit from improv. Yeah, actually, um, the whole concept behind improv, for those that don't know, is yes and. So uh, for me personally, it's very powerful as a recovering perfectionist to not get stuck in my head, to not get stuck in anxiety and fear about not being good enough, and instead have that mindset of, I can do this, or whatever idea you bring to me, I can build upon it, as opposed to the knee-jerk reaction of saying no. What is next for you? I love that question. Uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, I am currently the president of the International Coach Federation of Los Angeles, uh, which is a global association for coaches. And that is quite a full-time job uh, and has been amazing where I put some really unique strategies into place and we're getting results. So I've been quite busy this year with that along with my full-time coaching practice. Um, so what I'm really looking forward to next year uh, is starting to reconnect to what I'm desiring creatively and to tap into that. And from that place, that will redefine uh, where I want to go. And one offering that I currently have and that I'd love, I'm looking forward to getting back into or stepping into it again um, is a personal retreat uh, that I call Reconnecting to Your Purpose and Passion. Uh, and it really is a boot camp, if you will, for folks that are wanting to reconnect to their, their values, their strengths, their passion. And we spend two days together uh, going through and really helping them tap into that and unleash it. And then it is supported with follow-on coaching to really help them lock in the learning. Wow. Well, we'll certainly link to all, all the good you've brought up today. I can't wait for that. I'll leave you with this final question. Rachel Carew, how would you like to be remembered? Ooh, that's deep. <laughs> um, I'd like to be remembered as a courageous person who was willing to honor their purpose and passion regardless of the outcome. Love it. Love it. Love you. Love everything about this talk better, better than I could have even expected, knowing that we have a common ground for performing. But this went so much further than that. I love it. Did you have a good time? 
this was amazing. And I really appreciate your journey and your background too. So it's so nice getting to know you as well. Well, I think it's no secret that I am a fan. So I'm uh, continuing to, to follow you, to follow your your journey. Like I said, we'll put all the links so people can click around and listen to, to more of you in, in every in every regard. Any final words? I was just going to say for anyone interested in learning more, I invite you to go to my website, steppingintomore.com. And there you'll find on my media page, all kinds of interviews, clips of me performing, speaking, and you can also find clips of me performing on Facebook and, um, uh, yeah, and all the, all the usual uh, places, <laughs> LinkedIn, um, YouTube, all of the above. Of course, there'll be immediate links to all of this. So with that, we will leave you to carry on your magnificent day. I want to thank you, Rachel, for joining us. I want to thank you, everybody whose ears are attached to this. It's been magnificent. As always, until we do it again, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.